Welcome once again to Robert Nauer Unfiltered, a story by me about life, knowledge, and a lot of different subjects. And the subject that I choose today is racism in America, believe it or not. Now, I was a child raised in Orlando, Florida in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and I was raised by a black nanny, black maid, and a black foreman that worked for my father. Basically, they took care of me during the day up until the time I went to elementary school. And then when I got home from elementary school later in my life, they took care of me until such time as they left to take care of their own families. I lived on a concrete plant surrounded with nothing but black men who worked for my father at Nower Concrete on a place called Brookhaven Drive which now would be a very expensive place to live. And there were only two concrete plants in all of Central Florida at the time, my father's plant and Hubbard Construction. Hubbard is a billion-dollar corporation today. My father's company is out of business, but that, if you want to read more about it, can be found out in my book I recently wrote and released called Grace, G-R-A-C-E, an autobiography of a white child raised by blacks in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's on Amazon by me, Robert Nauer. And you can gain some insight into my upbringing, the people who loved me and reared me and took care of me. Which brings me to the subject today, racism. As a child, I never really knew racism. I was sheltered from all of that. Didn't really understand racism until after I had joined the Navy and had to attend race relations training and all those things that military officers had to do. But I was a pretty sheltered child. And when I grew up, nobody in elementary school, junior high, or high school ever talked about race riots, lynchings, murders of blacks, and how blacks were treated. It just wasn't a spoken subject. And it wasn't in any history books. In fact, there was literally nothing in any of the history books we were ever taught as children and teenagers until the 80s and 90s, and that was even still very limited. I never experienced hate, per se. I never experienced uh, problems with black people because I lived around them all my life. Uh, all of the black men that I was around as a child treated me well because they worked for my father. Um, Florida was a different place back then. Back in the 50s and 60s, Florida was simply nothing but orange trees, orange groves, and cattle. And with rare exception, industry, such as Martin Marietta, which is now Lockheed today. And that was it. Florida was not a place people came to. Florida was not a tourist attraction except Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And heavens forbid, Jacksonville, Florida, oh my God, nobody would have ever thought of going there. Florida was a swamp. Mosquitoes, sharecroppers who picked the oranges, vegetables, and raised the cattle, and that was it. Florida was not a great state, but I thought as a child it was a wonderful state because it was clean, wonderful, and... But then again, I was just a child. So... I was astounded 
about how white people have treated black people from the turn of this century, the night uh, around 1900, the World War One, the 20s and 30s and 40s, the, the amount of lynchings and killings and and horrendous murders of blacks that have occurred by whites, simply because white people lied about things that blacks did or made up about blacks and thus took them to trial and convicted them of murders and rapes and things that they didn't do. Now, in some cases they did, but it was uh, really rather minor. It wasn't until just, uh, and I'm 70, so I, I got to add that in there. It wasn't until about 10 years ago I realized what our history really contains about the murder and torture of black people in America and, and why some of them want reparations. Where I live in central Florida, outside of Orlando, there's a little town called Okoy. Uh, I think it's spelled O-C-O-E-E, Okoy. Back around the 20s, it was a very small town, probably no more than several hundred people. And the whites there, during an election time, did not want blacks to vote. And uh, they created some stories, and with the animosity they had, they went around the town uh, trying to round up certain blacks and then mostly all families living in Okoy and burned them out of their houses and lynched them. It's called the Okoy Massacre. If you want to read about it, Google it and do your own reading. It's also partially in my book called Grace, Autobiography of a White Child Raised by Blacks in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, available on Amazon. I was astounded. I didn't know that that kind of thing even happened in Florida. When I was a child at the age of about seven years of age, Tom Tomlinson, my father's foreman and my mentor, was driving me down East Robinson Street to Marks Street, that's M-A-R-K-S, and there's a big old oak tree there in a very small Orlando park, still exists, on Mark Street, just off of 1792. And that big old oak tree, called the Big Oak, uh, is known to have had multiple lynchings of blacks at the turn of the century and even beyond that. And Tom pointed that out to me as a child, and until then I had never heard that they even lynched blacks. And Tom said, Bobby, you see that big tree over there? When he stopped the concrete truck, he said, they used to lynch people like me on that tree. I said, what did you mean, lynch? And he says, they hung us by the neck and killed us. I was rather shocked as a seven-year-old child to hear that. So when I got home and was at dinner with my parents, I asked my father, Daddy, did black people get lynched at the big oak tree? And he said, where did you hear that? And I said, Tom told me. And he goes, we'll talk about that another day. My father never wanted to talk about it. And I kind of just put that subject to rest. So it really did kind of happen. Also, you've all probably heard by now, and if you haven't, then that just shows how ignorant you are, as most Americans, about the Oklahoma City Massacre of Blacks, which was one of the worst massacres in the history of the United States, where after 1900, uh, which would be considered a rather modern period in America to begin with, but whites went around and rounded up blacks hung them, shot them, killed them, and burned them out of their homes. An entire section of 
Oklahoma City, which had a very prosperous upscale black area with very well-to-do blacks, business owners, was burned to the ground and hundreds of blacks were killed. And then just today, listening on PBS radio, I heard about another massacre I had never heard about, which has kind of jarred my interest into wanting to learn even more about how whites have mistreated blacks in America. And that's the East St. Louis massacre that occurred around 1919. Now, you got to remember, 1919 is just after the end of World War I, when whites came back who had served in World War I. I don't believe we had hardly any blacks at all. Actually, we did. We had some blacks, about 4,000 blacks that did serve in World War I, but they did not serve alongside whites. They had their own units, and they were service people, just like you and me that served in the military. So when World War I ended and all the servicemen came back to America, there were no jobs for them. The industries that had been geared up that were making things, making artillery shells, cannons, guns and bullets and butter and everything else to service the war, there were no jobs. The plants back then found it extremely difficult to transition back to commercial industry. And so the jobs weren't available and whites uh, weren't able to get jobs in many cases. Uh, there was a homeless crisis then. And any blacks that did get jobs, uh, whites were very pissed off, to say the least, that whites would undercut white wages, uh, blacks would undercut white wages. So there was a lot of animosity towards blacks. And so all of that animosity rose its ugly head in 1919 in the city of East St. Louis and resulted in a massacre of black families and businesses also. There's a new book out, and I think it's called Past Midnight or Beyond Midnight. I'm going to read it. It was just released recently by a very good author, and uh, it depicts how the, the rise of hatred and racism can result in the killings of others, which is no different than the killings of uh, Chinese that came to America to help build the railroads. Same problem exists then as it does today, and that's the economically disadvantaged, the disenfranchised who lose their jobs because, for whatever reason, your skills are not up, you aren't able to get a job, you haven't kept pace with uh, industry and skill requirements, and thus you are on unemployment. All of that creates resentment and anger, which often boils over into the treatment and mistreatment of other races other than the person who has lost the job. When we have situations where America's uh, economic development is hampered by national debt, as it is today, for Christ's sakes, we're $25 trillion in debt. You know, when Bill Clinton took office, we were in significant debt because of the Bush administration, Bush Sr. Clinton came in, basically stopped, for the most part, most federal spending and put a cap on what the Department of Defense could spend. And that was in the late 80s, early 90s. And we were able to end up, finally, at the end of the Clinton administration with a $2 billion surplus, which 
Well, it doesn't seem a lot in comparison today when we're talking $25 trillion in debt, but we are so in debt as a country today that it is making it hard for businesses to survive, for individuals to survive. The problem is Congress. Congress keeps legislating and spending money that it does not have. Now, how does that affect racism? Very easily. It causes bad economic times. And those congressmen and senators, be they Democrats or Republicans, and it's predominantly the Republicans that spend today, when they cause deficits because of stupidity, overspending what they take in in taxes, then they oppress the population, the middle class and the poor, uh, but not the rich, into having jobs. And thus, when you are unemployed, you are bitter. When you don't have money coming in to feed your family, you are angry and bitter. And it's all that bitterness and anger that boils over into right-wing supremacist groups, skinheads, Nazis, Ku Klux Klan, you name it. Everything that we've seen recently with the Trump administration and people that he surrounded himself with is propagated and, and propped up by taunts of anger by somebody like Donald Trump. When economic situations are not decent for people to have jobs, get jobs and feed themselves and house themselves, and because Congress as a whole, you can't just say Democrats or Republicans, Congress as a whole doesn't give a shit about the American people, then the people finally get to a point where they totally distrust government, distrust everybody, and that anger boils over. And thus we have problems with hatred towards Asians and blacks and Hispanics coming across the border and calls for the same kind of stupid shit that they did back around the turn of the century, where the whites back under uh, previous presidents around the turn of the century, Woodrow Wilson as an example, basically wanted to deport immigrants that they felt weren't essential here anymore. Now, that's pretty racist, but this is the situation we are in today, and we've got to do several things. We've got to, we, the Congress needs to outlaw joining hate groups. That needs to be a felonious offense. The Congress needs to create a law that outlaws and prohibits and makes it a felony to join, to join and participate in any terrorist organization internal to the United States, any right-wing or left-wing supremacist group. Congress needs to provide affordable housing for everybody. There simply is not enough. And without affordable housing, anger and hatred boils over. Congress needs to work to provide jobs through skill training and job creation throughout the United States. And they simply aren't doing their job. So Probably if I had to point my finger at those directly responsible over the last eight years, it would be the Congress and the Senate as a whole who are not willing to work bipartisan cooperatively together to make America a good place to live. Notice I didn't say a great America again, so over that shit. But Congress needs to get off its ass. Congress needs to start caring about the American people instead of the fucking rich that are so goddamn fucking rich today. Excuse my language, but they're so fucking rich, they don't need help. But Donald Trump, he bent over backwards and had them kiss his ass, 
giving them tax breaks that the middle class and the poor never got. The rich, the, the divide between the haves and the have-nots in America today is greater than it has ever been, which also helps spur on the hatred and anger towards minorities. All this has to stop. And if I was to say the buck stops here, the buck stops with Congress. They need to change their attitude, change their work ethic, work for the American people as a whole, not the rich. Work for the people that pay the fucking taxes in America, people. Who do you think pays the taxes in America? The middle class does, not the fucking rich, and certainly not the poor. It's the middle class pays all the goddamn taxes in America. The burden has to come off. Everybody has to pay their fair share, especially the rich. And we don't need presidents like Donald Trump that make the rich richer at the expense of everybody else. So, racism in America, does it exist? You bet it does. It's, it is under the surface. There is an undercurrent today that is very dangerous, and we need to legislate against it. And we need to put people in jail that join hate groups. We need to do that. We've got to put the kibosh on it, and we've got to stop hating people. I have no reason in the world, absolutely none whatsoever, to hate Asians, to hate blacks, to hate Hispanics. I like everybody. I've met wonderful people from all different races. All races have good and bad people, as Donald Trump said, on both sides. Yeah, they do. But it appears that the whites in America are getting a little bit out of control in terms of hating and being so vocal about it. Please take a look at yourself and ask, am I a hater? Is this how I want my children to perceive me as a father, as a hateful person? And if you answer the question yes, then you need to self-evaluate yourself and maybe attend church, real church, and ask, what would God or Jesus do? We need to disavow hate in America. We need to get on a different plane. I personally am so grateful and so thankful that my nanny, my maid, and my mentor were all black that took care of me as a child because they, they made me into the person that I am today and certainly not a hateful person. And I think that if anybody understands that, you too can change your attitude towards who makes up America. And I got to tell you, people, it ain't going to be white people because the Hispanics are coming to America in droves. They're going to culturally change America through interracial marriage, uh, which is what all races have done. We all intermarry. We have different uh, genetic makeup as a result. 50 years from now, you won't even probably see a white person in America. It'll be very rare with the way uh, America is going culturally. I think I'll end it there. This is about reflection and self-reflection and evaluation and what our schools don't teach school children. We need to stop saying don't teach children this and don't teach children that. Children need to be taught everything because America is one of the most repressed nations in the world. You go to the Scandinavia, the Netherlands, uh, etc. They teach children everything about sex education, how it's done, what sex is about, how to perform it, and they teach history. 
We don't do that in America, and we need to. So, anyway, too much for talking. With that, Bob out. <laughs>